Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome everyone to the podcast, Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. I am your host, Shenandoah Connor, and I'm here with my co-host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Say hello, John. Hi, everyone. Hey, Shen. Happy to be here today. A rainy day here in New York, but uh, we have a great guest today, Clint Swindell, who I know, uh, Shenandoah, you're going to properly um, introduce here. Yes, uh, Clint, I know very well. I actually got introduced to Clint before I actually met him. Um, he is a expert in organizational culture and leadership, and that's what I got my master's in was the organizational development and leadership. So I actually had referenced one of his books for a paper. And uh, then I met my husband, and he is a friend of my husband's family, a longtime friend. They do barbecue cookoffs together. It's Texas, barbecue's big down here. Um, so they are very involved in that. He actually also officiated our wedding. So very connected, <laughs> um, but his primary function and why he's on the podcast today is because of his experience with uh, culture and leadership and what he calls engaged leadership. So I will give you uh, the mic so you can introduce yourself real quick, Clint. You bet. Absolutely. Thank you so much for even having me on the show. What, what an exciting what an exciting time we're living in right now, uh, not just from COVID-19 and the impact that it has on our personal lives, but obviously the impact the virus is having on our professional lives and having on culture and trying to figure out how we maneuver around that and not allow it to have too much of a negative impact on culture. It's, it's uh, funny, every time I turn around, I hear somebody saying they can't wait until we get past this COVID-19 so we can get back to normal. And always just smile and say, I'm afraid that uh, there's nothing that's going to be normal uh, on the other side of this pandemic, particularly as it relates to leadership. And so I always keep my eye on engagement of employees and what that means. And uh, so hopefully we can spend a little time today kind of talking about that and talking about the impact this situation will have on engagement of employees. Absolutely. And I think um, it, it would really help our listeners to establish a foundation of what you mean by engaged leadership and an engaged culture. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So every year, the Gallup organization does a study uh, of employee engagement. They look to see how many employees are engaged, how many are disengaged, how many are actively disengaged. And so by their definition, they're looking for someone who is connected to an organization emotionally and somebody who is willing to go above and beyond to make a contribution to the organization. And they do that study every year. And my corporate background is the company that is now AT&T. After I graduated from college, I went on to a leadership development program in a major Fortune 500 company, had an opportunity to, to see how I thought leadership was supposed to be done. And then somewhere along the way, I realized that while they got some of it right, uh, they got a whole lot of it wrong. And so when I left that environment, I thought, you know, I want the opportunity to try to help build uh, leaders and to help focus on culture. And one of the first things that really stood out to me was this idea of engagement. My very first day on, on the job in corporate America, I met with my boss and she, she told me she was trying to impact the culture and that she wanted to build a culture of engagement. Of course, I was straight out of college I had not a clue what she was talking about. I pretended that I did, but I had not a clue uh, what she was talking about. And she said, uh, have, you ever, have you ever had a place where you love to work? And I said, oh yeah, I have. And she said, have you ever had a place that you didn't like to work? And I said, oh yeah, I've had those too. And she said, quite on honestly, she said, that's culture. And I wanna create a place where people wanna be and not a place where they feel they have to be. And so when I left corporate America and I started this journey of trying to help other organizations and other people, in dealing with this, this issue of engagement, I found the uh, Gallup organization study uh, that shows that there are three types of employees. We have those who are engaged, those who are productive and loyal, enthusiastic, energetic. They actually wanna be wherever it is they work. They're the type of people who wake up on Monday morning and say, thank God it's Monday. I mean, they just love doing what they do for a living. And they are somehow 
uh, emotionally attached to the organization. Uh, according to the most recent study pre-COVID-19, we can talk a little bit in, in a few minutes about post-COVID or, or current COVID-19 numbers. The, the, those numbers have really kind of been all over the place, which is understandable. But right before COVID-19, uh, their study was showing about 34% of employees were engaged. So one in three that were really connected to the culture. That study further shows that 53% of employees are disengaged. 53% just show up to work every day. They do the bare minimum to get by. They collect the paycheck and they go home. There's no connection to a bigger vision. But sadly, that study finally shows that the bottom 13% are actively disengaged. Apparently, just being disengaged isn't good enough. You know, these people are <laughs> walking up and down the halls, recruiting new members, or standing out in the parking lot having a pity party, talking about how bad things are, talking about how good things used to be. And, and they're proactively trying to tear down the culture. And so when I look at engaged leadership, I look at that really as being a solution to this challenge of employee disengagement. And how do we go about building a culture as leaders uh, to help overcome employee disengagement? And then the second aspect of what engaged leadership is, is it's a book. It's the book that I wrote uh, for the first time, I believe 13 years ago, that talks about all of the different aspects of of building that culture of engagement. A second edition came out about 10 years ago as well. And uh, we take a look at, at specific aspects of leadership to help build that culture. Went really well said. Um, and uh, you know, for the audience, this is uh, actually my first time uh, meeting Clint today and Jen and Toa highly recommended him. And I, I can now see why. So um, I couldn't agree more and um, you know, I, I think about our listeners here and, uh, you know, it's financial advisors of many shapes and you know, sizes. And uh, most are probably, you know, an organization that might have one or two or five or six staff people, some greater, of course. Um, and, you know, I think about my own business today. We've got over 50 employees in the organization. Um, and I, I didn't figure out anything that you just shared probably until about three or four years ago. And uh, by no stretch of the imagination have I mastered it yet. Um, but we've been working really hard on our culture. Um, and I can see um, how the organization is changing um, and how the growth is beginning to occur. Because like you said, I, I think we are approaching probably 90, 95% um, of our employees are super uh, engaged in the vision, the mission, the values of the organization. Um, and the, the difference to the culture is absolutely so People, you know, for most businesses, financial services businesses, as well, our people and our payroll, right, is by far uh, our biggest expense in a small business. Yep. And if, if, you know, to your point, if two thirds of them are walking around not super engaged and not feeling, you know, skipping to work every day, yep. um, you know, the, the opportunity to grow and, and accomplish things is greatly diminished. So great work, Shannon Noah. I'm, I'm going to shut up for a bit. You're going to learn to trust my judgment, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Always, always Not that did. you doubt it. Not that you doubt it anyways. <laughs> always did. Um, well, and, and you know, Jonathan, you bring up a good point, and this was also something too, you know, a lot of times leaders don't think about culture or um, I know for a long time too, culture was kind of seen as something a fluffy concept that HR is trying to push, but it really doesn't have an impact on the bottom line. And, you know, leadership's concerned about the bottom line, but really, you know, culture has a significant impact on performance. And I don't know if you want to dive into that for us a little bit, Clint. Sure. You know, research uh, shows time and time again, that those employees who are highly engaged and, and again, the Gallup organization is where we get the majority of our data. They probably are are the, the, the premier organization, not just in the United States, but around the world, as far as keeping their thumb on the pulse of employees and, and, and how engaged they are and how they are adapting in the workplace. And without question, their research shows time and time again that organizations that get, get tested for engagement, if you will, that those that have a high level of engagement consistently have a high, higher level of profitability. Uh, they have a higher level of shareholder return uh, those studies are just piled on top of each other. It's, you're absolutely right. There's so many different 
spins on leadership that have been laid out over the years and all the different uh, fly-by-night programs and you're managing by walking around and all the other ones, uh, uh, Six Sigma, all of those where people literally just, they, they were a fad. They, they, they ran their course, they ran a year, two, six years. Uh, and I remember about a year ago, there was some leadership development person who had said, you know, uh, employee engagement has run its course. Uh, that's not the terminology anymore. It's dated. Uh, it's now time to move on to the next thing. And I wanted to scream from the mountaintops, employee engagement is not a fad. Employee engagement is not a program. Employee engagement is critical, was critical back during all of those other programs and will continue to be critical going forward because at the end of the day, employee engagement shows how connected someone is to the bigger picture of the organization. Uh, and without it, uh, it has a tremendous impact on culture. In fact, you know, some, pe some people will say that engagement can impact culture. I believe in a big way, culture uh, impacts engagement. Uh, I've been saying all along, in fact, we're, we're about to put out a new uh, product that's going to be focused on leaders and giving them uh, encouragement to focus on some culture conversations in that so many people, again, are saying, I can't wait to get to the other side of the pandemic so we can get back to normal. There are a lot of things that that uh, may get back to normal. There are a lot of things that won't. But one thing that's happening right now is that corporate cultures are changing. They're changing right now. Corporate cultures are either intentional or they just happen to, to come about. And those leaders who don't focus on culture, they just end up with whatever culture uh, uh, pops out of the other side. Those that are intentional say, this is the culture we want and these are the things that we're going to do to ensure that we're working toward those. And my fear right now is that there are so many leaders and organizations that are just trying to survive. They literally are in survival mode. They're just trying to keep the doors open. They're trying to keep the employees on the payroll. They're, I mean, we're asking, our, we're asking our customers to communicate with us differently. We're asking them to do business with us differently in ways that they may not necessarily be comfortable with. We're asking employees uh, to work from home. We're asking people to completely change their lives. And as a result of that, culture is changing. And as long as leaders aren't talking about that every single week as a leadership team saying, what do we have to do to ensure that when we get to the other side of this thing, that our culture is still what we want it to be. I keep hearing these conversations where people are saying, you know, we never would have thought that our people could have worked from home, but you know what? We're looking at the numbers right now. And you know what? It's, we're doing all right. You know, and in the long term, I think we might be able to keep a third of these people home because, you know, we've, learned, we've looked at the numbers now and we realize that we can cut down from five offices to three offices and the money that we can save by eliminating all of this office space and all of this rent and all these things, this is going to do wonders for our business. How many of you have had a conversation about what that's going to do to your culture? Because now I can't just get up from my desk and walk down the hall to Shenandoah's office and say, so can you help me through this? Or, Hey, what did you do this weekend? Or, Hey, you know, Shenandoah, I couldn't help but to notice you haven't been yourself these last couple of days. Is there something bothering you? If I'm only on a Zoom call with you, I will never be able to maintain that relationship with a coworker. And so as a result of that, cultures are completely changing. And if leaders aren't talking about that, that ultimately will affect performance. And as, as long as all the decisions that are being made are financial, we can save money here. We you know, had no idea that our, our customer service numbers would go up. These people are happier at home. As long as we keep looking at that and not focused on what those decisions are going to do to our culture, we're going to, I'll be employed for a long time on the other side of this thing, because we're <laughs> going to have a ton of people coming and saying, help us figure out what we do to put our culture back together. Yeah, I, I think you will be employed for a long time, for sure. You know, two, two I mean, there were, there were eight things that I love that you said, but two that stood out. Um, one was that word intentional. Right, and I, I think um, intentionality is so important and you know, kind of understanding what it is you're trying to accomplish, right? Where you're trying to take people. 
Um, I've been exposed to uh, similarly kind of a Fortune 250 leadership development program and uh, took some good things. And I've been blessed to have some great leaders uh, around me as mentors. And you know, one in particular uh, who, Shenandoah, you got the chance to meet, Ray Kelly from Think to Perform. Um, has this great saying, right? And you know, or I shouldn't even say it's a saying. He he talks about that leaders need to communicate 10x at a minimum more than they think they need to, mm-hmm. um, particularly about the vision and where it is the company is going and what their purpose. Um, so I I would just be really interested in kind of your thoughts about kind of communication and. Uh, you know, the, the importance of having a vision in a firm. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I believe without question, one of the, one of the keys uh, to getting through this entire challenge, uh, and again, not waiting till we get to the other side of it, uh, to involve people and to get us out of this survival mode, but th- what we have to be doing right now, uh, one of those is ensuring that we are working with, a, with our leadership team uh, to create and to share a transformational vision of what we're going to be going forward. It doesn't matter if your business was devastated by COVID-19 or if it was doubled as a result of COVID-19 because you happen to be in an industry that was really needed in the middle of a pandemic. In either situation, uh, it's going to require a new creative vision of what you're going to be in the future. And I think way too many people are just assuming, well, we're just going to try to limp along with what we already have. I think employees, particularly those who are sitting at home, who are no longer in an office, they're sitting at home saying, you know what? I don't really know where we are. I don't know what we're doing. And to your point, when you have leaders who just communicate the way they did, and to their defense, none of us have ever been through this. I mean, there are very few people alive today who went through what we experienced back in 1929 and the 1930s and, 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 and even back to the last pandemic, there are very few that were even alive back then, much less right in the middle of having to lead through this. So to, to the leader's defense, most don't know how to get us through this, but I believe without question, there has to be a transparency of that with employees. Number one, to your point, again, you have to communicate tenfold to stay on top. And I know people, you know, they push away from Zoom. They're just the Zoom fatigue and the, all the things that go along with it. I get that. But there has got to be uh, a stronger effort to communicate on a very regular basis to these employees who are at home saying, I, I don't really know what's going to happen. When are we going back to work? What's that going to look like? How safe are you going to make it for me? What does our future look like? Whether I stay at home or I go back into the office and without a leader communicating that on a very regular basis, there will be people who will be absolutely lost. And I think what people really want right now uh, is they want transparency uh, and they want authenticity. Uh, I would much rather have a leader come to me and say, Clint, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I have no idea what this thing's going to look like on the other side. Here's the deal. The one thing I know for certain, we will get through this and we will get through it together. And I'm going to need you to share your ideas, to share your knowledge, maybe more so than ever before. You know, when we were all in an office, maybe I thought I had all the answers more than I probably did. In fact, you and your coworkers would probably say, yeah, we used to say that all the time. We didn't know why you didn't come and ask us because we're on the front line and we have a, a better idea of reality than you do. And if you're just, if it took a pandemic to get you there, Awesome. Let us help you through that. And I think what people want are leaders who will be authentic, will be authentic, but then also just be transparent to say, man, I wake up every day as scared as you, because I don't know what this is going to be on the other side. Wow. What an exciting time that we get to live through this and figure out a way to get to the other side together. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, kind of some of the things we're talking about, we're talking about this in the context of the pandemic, but, um, you know, also too, I've experienced similar situations during, 
acquisitions and mergers, which we talk about quite a bit on the show. And, you know, part of me coming on board is part of Jonathan's push into the Texas region. So the practice is based in New York, but now we've got people in multiple states that we're trying to stay connected. So we don't have, we're not in the same office anyway. So we're staying connected remote regardless of what's happening out in the environment. Um, but I've been in situations where those acquisitions and mergers happened, that communication's not there, people weren't engaged, and it, it becomes a very divisive situation. And I think we have some of our, a lot of our advisors that listen to us are thinking about acquisitions. Some of them are staying close, but some of them are looking at acquisitions outside of their region. They're looking to expand their footprint and they're gonna start running into these situations where they're having to manage a remote team. And how do you preserve and maintain that culture um, you know, when you're dealing with people that are just geographically going to be split no matter what the circumstances are? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a great question, Jen. I think um, one of the things that um, that I was thinking about, Clint, while you were chatting a little bit, um, was when um, when we took over um, this practice, Canando was referencing in Texas not too long ago. Um, you know, we have a process that we follow in our organization. We we actually call it a Woody Woofy. Try to say that one three times fast. Yeah, yeah say that again. A what? <laughs> Woody Woofy, which uh, is an acronym, stands for "What do you want for yourself?" Right? Nice. What What do you want for yourself? And it's a process we go through with all of our employees, um, and it kind of helps us understand what their core values are, um, and then kind of drills down into what they're trying to accomplish, kind of personally, um, from a business perspective, and then from a professional perspective. I'm sorry, per, uh, personal self-growth and uh, from a professional perspective. So I would just be curious, um, anything that you've seen or that you recommend that kind of helps to kind of cement that relationship uh, with employees and kind of really help you know, drive the importance of um, you know, helping them as employees get what they're looking for as well in you know, kind of unison uh, with the corporate. Sure. I think without question, uh, most employees are struggling with this idea of, of balance. And we've all heard that, you know, you gotta, you gotta have work life balance. Uh, you gotta have your work life, how much time you spend at work, how much effort you put in there. And then you have to have your home life. And when those two things aren't balanced, uh, then your life gets all jacked up. And, uh, ultimately you can't pursue those things that you really want to uh, pursue. I've always said, I think one of the biggest challenges is that, uh, that those experts that have been telling us that we need to search for life balance uh, have sent us down a rabbit hole uh, of something that simply does not exist and never will exist. Uh, balance infers that there's a, 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 an equality of distribution, that, that your home life and your work life somehow are supposed to be the same. And, and those things change all the time. Uh, if you uh, just had a child, you're probably going to want to spend more time at home and probably less time on your career. If you just had your kids go off to college and you're an empty nester, you might be spending more time at work than you did at home and your focus is going to be more there. And so I think what employees really need to know is that they have an employer that understands that it's more than that and that they're not just asking employees to balance work and home. Uh, my my follow-up book to engage leadership is a book entitled Living for the Weekday. And in that book, I share that there are really five different aspects of our lives that deserve our attention, deserve our focus. Until we find a prioritization of those five, we'll never be a fully engaged employee. Uh, the first of those fives is your career. And it's the reason that people show up to work every day. They, they've chosen a career path, whether it's uh, what's something they're good at, uh, it's something they started at uh, and, and never got away from, or it's something they're terribly passionate about. But whatever it is, it's, it's the career choice they've made. It's the job they hold down at the moment. It's the source of income that allows them to live their life. But it's only one aspect uh, of our life. Uh, the second aspect, uh, and, and quite frankly, it's one that gets, uh, it gets ignored a lot. It's our relationships. Uh, the relationships that you have with your coworkers, the relationships that you have in your personal life, it's the relationship that you have with yourself. It's not possible to show up and be fully engaged at work and really have a strong idea of what it is that you want to achieve in your career if you can't get along with your family. 
if you don't like the person who sits in the, in, in, at the desk next to you, uh, if you simply uh, can't, you've got, you just had a fight with your spouse that morning and you can't get past it, yet you show up to a job where you're supposed to be fully engaged. There's no way to be fully engaged if, if we can't get past this relationship issue. Uh, the third uh, is finance, you know, the almighty dollar. The reality is, uh, as much as we would like to think that uh, money isn't important, the reality is, and you know this uh, better than anybody, it absolutely plays a role in your life. Now, if you, if you got super, super rich, would all your problems go away? I'm doubting it. In fact, I have a friend that uh, has since passed, but he was older gentleman, uh, very wealthy. He had, he had it all and lost it all three times in his life. And when I say had it all, I mean like personal aircraft kind of had it all. I mean, this guy was wealthy, wealthy, uh, and then lost everything and got it all back and did that three times in his life. And he told me one time, he said, you know, Clint, he said, uh, he said his word, because I was talking to him about this, these, these five aspects of, of life. And he said, you know, if you're ever out there speaking to people and have an opportunity to tell them this advice, tell them this. And I said, okay. <clears throat> he said, you ready? Write it down. Cause I don't want you to mess it up. I said, okay, I'll write it down. I said, what is it? He said, uh, I want you to tell them that I've been rich and I have been poor and rich is better. <laughs> I think that's the thing that our audience will get. <laughs> no, I, just, I said, is, it, is that it? I mean, that's, really, that, that's the advice? And he laughed and he said, no, no, what I want you to tell them is that I've been rich and I've been poor and rich is better, but rich never made me happy. R rich never eliminated all the other problems in my life. It, it just gave me an opportunity to enjoy my misery in some very exotic places, <laughs> driving <laughs> around in a very nice car, but my problems didn't go away. So finance, as you well know, certainly has a place in our life. You, you can't show up and be fully engaged at work if you're not certain whether or not you can make your mortgage payment. You can't mm -hmm. show up and be fully engaged at work if you don't know whether or not you make your car payment. You can't show up and be fully engaged at work if you need to send a kid to college in three years and you're realizing you're nowhere close to being able to send them to where they want to go because you didn't start planning early enough. I mean, finance has a place in our lives, but it is only one aspect and fixing that one won't fix broken relationships. Uh, it won't fix the fact you're in a career that you may not necessarily like because you're working in the automotive industry or whatever, and that's not really want, where you want to work. So ultimately we have, we have to focus on finance, but not believe that that's going to fix everything. Uh, the fourth aspect is our health, you know, our physical, and mental health, uh, but because you can't show up and be fully engaged at work if you don't feel good every day. You can't show up and be fully engaged at work because you drink what you want and you eat what you want and you don't focus on your, on your physical health. You can't show up and be fully engaged at work if you, uh, for whatever reason, are dragging some anchor around behind you because somebody offended you 15 years ago and you can't let it go and you're dragging it behind you and it's affecting your mental health. Uh, mental health isn't necessarily whether or not you're taking something that a doctor uh, prescribed to you or, or, or some kind of therapy session. Sometimes the most normal person is dragging around some anger in their heart from somebody who offended them five years ago, and they're dragging that behind them, and it's affecting their mental health. That's a bit, You can't show up and be fully engaged at work if you're dragging all this crud along behind you. And then the fifth aspect is our spirituality. Uh, it's, it's the bigger purpose for why we're here. I uh, had a partner uh, years ago that I presented that to and, and uh, I sent it to him in a, uh, in, a, in a text and he looked at it and, and, and I thought he was going to text me back and he, and he called me back like immediately. And he said, I, I picked up the phone. He said, you can't use that word. I said, which one? Finance? <laughs> he said, no, <laughs> you know what word I'm talking about. He said, religion you can't be talking about religion in your program. I said, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about spirituality. I'm not talking about whether you're, whether you're whatever religion you choose. If you have religion in your life, that's great. If you don't, that's fine too. That's your, that's your business. But I'm talking about spirituality. I'm talking about the bigger purpose for why you're here. And when we don't know what that bigger purpose is, then quite frankly, it's a, it can be a hole that never allows us to feel that ultimate, that ultimate balance because we're missing something in our lives. So long way around getting back to, to your answer of, you know, how do you help employees through that? I believe you raise the awareness that you understand that, that their contribution to the organization is so much more 
than just them showing up. It's about them finding that, that fullness, that wholeness, if you will, from focusing on all five of those areas and that, that I, as a leader, want to help you in each of those. You know, we talk about employee well-being all the time, but I work with organizations on a regular basis that I'll go to and I'll say, so tell me, what, what, what kind of programs do you have to help employees through the relationships in their life, whether it's personal relationships or the person sitting in the cubicle next door to them? What, what kind of programs do you have that help them through that? You know, most have a, a health program. You know, they have some health well-being program where they, you know, everybody goes and walks at lunch or whatever it may be. Uh, but what do, your fin- what, what, what do you do to help people through their finances? I mean, I've worked with some really large financial institutions that have no program in place that help employees through their financial challenges in their life. They give them a check every two weeks, but they have absolutely no idea that one of their biggest challenges in their life is how to manage their finance. And so I think part of it is making sure that employees know that as an employer, I recognize there are five different aspects of your life. And part of my role has to be to help you understand where you fall in those five and how I can help you through developing those five. Well said. I feel like, um, I feel like we're kindred spirits a little bit. I mean, Shenandoah knows me pretty well. And I think uh, once you kind of have, you know, culture and leadership in your DNA, some, um, it, it starts to click. And, you know, Shenandoah, you said something earlier. Um, because just as, just as a comment, um, I was thinking about while Clinton was, was, was uh, educating us here a bit, which is um, I could remember sitting in a room no disrespect, Clint, listening to guys and gals like you, yep. hearing kind of Charlie Brown, that whole kind of wah, 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 yep. wah, like this whole vision, mission, values, culture, and, uh, you know, the, the, the five different aspects you just spoke about. Um, you know, I guess there's a, a saying, right, that when the um, student's ready, right, the teacher kind of shows up, right, yep. and... Um, that's just just a message to the listeners out there. Um, you know, yes, this stuff because I w- I was sort of skeptical myself and just thought they were words and no one really did it. And when you start living it, um, everything just becomes clear. Right? Yeah. It becomes clear when you understand what number one. You know, you have to be self-aware, right? And you have to kind of get to a point where you're you know kind of consciously competent and understand why you know what makes you tick as a human being and where you get your happiness from um but once you're self-aware enough to see that um i call it having the curse of knowledge you get to start to see through the people in your life um what they're missing and once you kind of get it you really just like can't help yourself from sharing it and you know shenandoah's heard me talk about it you know clinton in our you know financial planning practice we have kind of like an inward-facing uh, vision that Cutton Wealth Management is not only a Barron's Hall of Fame financial planning practice, but we're known as an industry-wide leadership development factory, and that we develop what we call level five leaders. Um, and part of our whole kind of culture is around leaders developing leaders and kind of helping see these blind spots, which, um, and I don't think there was a question in there, but just uh couldn't help myself, but, you know, kind of sharing how, how, how excited I am to kind of hear someone like yourself talk about uh, things that I just, I just hope our listeners connect on, because uh, the first piece is being aware of it before you can ultimately implement it. You know, and I, I appreciate that comment, too. I, I know, uh, as, I, as I kind of joked about the religion piece, because, again, this isn't about religion. This is about, that fifth piece is about spirituality, and it's the piece that I so often struggle being able to talk in a corporate environment because some people can't that that old saying you know the uh, two things you should never talk about politics and religion I, I believe quite frankly the reason they say don't talk about politics and religion are those are the two things that most people understand the least i'm not going to talk to you about re- politics because if you start you know talking to me about you know give me three reasons why i'm voting for x candidate i don't know if i give you three so you know what let's just not talk about politics or even religion. Well, tell me why uh, you believe that. Well, let's just not talk about that. So I just believe it's because quite frankly, most people don't understand those two topics. And so it's easier just to say, well, let's just avoid those two. And so because a lot of people don't understand the religion spirituality piece, I think sometimes they miss that bigger vision 
that that spirituality, again, it's the, it's the bigger reason you're here. Somebody asked me one time, they said, well, uh, tell, tell me how I can figure out that piece for me at what my bigger purpose is. And I said, well, it's very simple. In fact, I, I read a book one time. Uh, it was called uh, uh, Something Spirituality, but it was basically to ask yourself one simple question, and that is what makes you angry? What, what social injustice just makes you angry? Is it the fact that, that children are abused? Is it the fact that people go hungry at night when you go to bed with a full belly? Is it the fact that, uh, that, that animals are abused? I mean, what, what is it that just makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up? And if you can figure out what that thing is that you just say, if I, if I could put all of my effort toward fixing that because it's just so wrong, that is your purpose. Now, if you can figure that out and then start dedicating your time, your talent and your treasure in some way being able to, to help overcome that or at least contribute something in your lifetime to say, this is what I've done to try to move the needle. Once you've done that, so many of the rest of it falls into place, particularly the career part. I mean, I, you know, before COVID-19, I traveled for a living. I'd get on a plane, I'd fly all around the country. And there were plenty of times on a Sunday afternoon, I would think to myself, I don't want to go get on a plane tomorrow and go somewhere because it was a place I didn't really want to go. But I knew I had to go do that because on the spirituality side, my wife and I figured out what angered us. And that was abandoned, abused, abandoned, abused, neglected children. And about 16 years ago, she and I formed a foundation for abandoned, abused, and neglected children called the First Chance Foundation. And we raised money to help those organizations on the front line deal with kids who have been put in these horrible, horrible situations. And that, we believe, is our bigger purpose. And as a result, when I don't want to get on a plane and go somewhere, or I have a client I don't really want to do business with, at the end of the day, I say, but I have to go do that because I can't ultimately do what I believe I was put down here to do if I don't have the financial resources to do that. So ultimately figuring out why you're here, figuring out what your bigger purpose is, figuring out what those little hands are behind your desk back there on that little picture that's sitting on your desk. I don't even know what that is, but I promise you it's part of you. It's part of your culture. It's part of who you are. It wouldn't be sitting on your desk right there. And those are some little hands on there. And I believe without question, when we understand what that is, Oh man, all the rest of it falls into place. And when we see someone who just gets up and works 12 hours a day, goes home, spends a little time with their spouse, takes care of their kids, gets up the next day and goes and does it again for 12 hours. And they do that for seven days in a week. And then they uh, do it for four weeks in a month and then 52 weeks in a year. And then at some point you realize you, you've done nothing to contribute to something bigger than you. At some point, people get burned out and they become disengaged. But man, when you understand that spirituality part, woo, everything else just falls into place. Yeah. Could, yeah like could, I'm sorry. I just I have to comment, Shen. Couldn't agree more. Love it. Um, I, I call it, Clint, the uh, kind of bag flying in the wind, right? Most people's lives are just, it kind of takes them. Uh, we're, wherever the wind may blow, um, and, and it comes back to that, you know, that intentionality that we talked about before, right. right? When you're intentional and those little hands behind you, for those of you not on video or, uh, are big hands now. So those are my kids from their little and big, big part of my purpose. And what I do is, is certainly my family. So I think you you're, uh, you're spot on. Yep. It's awesome. Well, yeah. And kind of bringing it back to that whole concept of engagement and culture, like everything you just said, is tying it to this concept of it's not just up to leadership, it's not just up to the company, the people that are at the helm to create and drive culture and engagement. But you also talk about it's also our individual responsibility as an employees, no matter where we are on the totem pole, to do our part to make sure that we're showing up engaged, that we are making sure that these five areas are taken care of, that they're fulfilled, so that we are bringing our best selves to the table each day and so we can be, you know, helping work towards that bigger mission at the organizational level because we've taken care of ourselves at the personal level. And that's yep. one of the things I do like about that you do. It's not just up to the CEO and the HR team to figure out this whole concept of culture and engagement, but each person in the company has a responsibility to partake in that. And if you want to dive into that a little bit. You bet. I mean, not, not only... Uh, do they have that responsibility at the highest level, but all the way down to the lowest level in the organization? And, and, and to your point, so many think, well, that, that's not really my 
my role. That's not, that's not my job to do that. That's, that's the CEO's role. That's anybody in the C-suite. That's my boss's role. That's not my, that's not my role. Uh, the reality is we can teach leaders everything that we possibly can and everything that we know about leading and building a culture of engagement. But without employees on board saying, hey, I get that I have to contribute to this, none of it will matter. Employees don't get to show up with their arms crossed every day going, mm, engage me. <laughs> As a long weekend, you better get started. Employees don't get to do that and have engagement actually work. Uh, as you said, every single, every single employee has to make their contribution. And, and why I think it's important is because every day that people walk through the door of their, their building, they're either adding to or taking away from the culture of the organization. There is no middle ground. And that's every single employee. So where someone falls on that engagement spectrum really matters if someone's engaged, because a lot of times people say, well, what difference does it make where I fall, whether I'm engaged or disengaged or actively disengaged? What, what, why does that matter? Well, it matters because even if you're, and particularly if you're, if you're working the front desk of the, of the office and considered one of the lower level employees, you're in many ways the face of the organization. So every day, I mean, because we all want to work at a place where that's fun and exciting and dynamic and energetic. We all want to work at that place. So I ask employees all the time, so what do you do every day to contribute to that? Because I can't sit around and wait for my boss to create that culture. Every day, all employees have to contribute to that. And some people say, well, I don't really do any of that. I just show up and do my job and go home. And my argument is, well, then you took away from the culture of the organization that day. If you want this dynamic, exciting, fun culture, well, how did going to, into the office, walking into your, closing the door, sitting down, doing your job, only coming out when you need to, and then leaving at the end of the day, how did that contribute to that culture? And so I tell people all the time, it's not just the people in the C-suite or the, in a leadership position. Every one of us have that responsibility every single day. And for the primary reason that we're all either adding to it or taken away for there's no middle ground. Some people say, well, you know, it, 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 it's like being on the stairs. I say, no, it's really like being on an escalator. You're either going up or you're going down. Uh, the, you're always moving one direction or the other. Some people say, well, what if it's broken? I'm like, well, that's my point. <laughs> the, if, if you're not going up or down, you're broken and you're not contributing to that culture of engagement. Love it. Yeah. You know, Glenn, I, um, I once heard, I believe it's a true story, by the way, that at, at NASA, back in the day when we were trying to put someone on the moon, I'm sure you guys have heard the same story, um, the, uh, you know, the janitor uh, or custodian at NASA was asked, you know, what is it that you do here? His response was, I'm, I'm here to help put somebody on the moon, right? So as you were talking, that's, that's what was kind of resonating uh, in my mind. And, you know, to also just kind of add a thought, um, you know, what's interesting is there was a time in my career where I was the guy in my office, door shut, working my tail off, trying to grow the business and really just had the time, I thought at least, to interact uh, with my key, key people, right? Kind of my my little, uh, you know, suite, if you will. And, um, you know, what, what I had to learn to do, and I got this advice from, uh, you know, from someone uh, to help was start to part, to start to put systems and processes in place to remind myself um, to connect and to build relationships uh, with my employees. So to this day, Fridays, I write handwritten cards. Yep. Um, because I don't remember to write handwritten cards yeah. um, unless it's in my calendar. Um, and I can share with you, I've probably done that for maybe three years. Um, and it touches everyone I write a card to. Yep. Right. Um, so, you know, for those of you listening, I always try to make things applicable, right? So if you're, if you're listening here and you're going, this sounds great, but you know, I don't know how to do it. Um, you know, part of it is, you know, in my opinion, you need a coach. I think someone like Clint, I'll give you a little plug, would be an unbelievable candidate for that. Yep. Um, but you need someone to help 
ultimately coach and help you kind of change your your habits, so to speak. Um, but sometimes it's just programming it and, and and figuring out how to ultimately, um, you know, be in a position where you do learn how to think a little bit differently and kind of pre-program yourself to do things that aren't natural. It's a great point because uh, there are so many people that don't find uh, the art of leadership to be a natural thing. There's some that it's very natural to them. Uh, they were born with that and it's really the only thing they know to do. Uh, I remember when uh, uh, my, again, my corporate background was the company that is now AT&T at the time it was Southwestern Bell, SBC Communications, all the acquisitions that they got made. But our CEO at the time was a guy named Ed Whitaker. Uh, who ultimately went on and was asked to run GM back during the Great Recession, I guess back in 2008 or whatever year. He was called in by the, by, uh, the administration to come in and, and help uh, fix that uh, car company. And so I remember his very first interview in front of the media. And anybody who knew or knows Ed Whitaker knows he's a very dry personality. And, and he sat there in front of the, the media and they said, uh, so tell us, uh, what is it that you know about the car company, or about the car business? And uh, he sat there for a moment and looked at him. And he said, well, I don't know anything about the car business, but I know a lot about people. And I can tell you, I know how to lead people. And it really doesn't matter what industry it's in, because I understand leadership. I have plenty of people around me who have forgotten more about the car business than I'll ever learn. You don't need a guy who understands the car business. You need, a, you need a guy who understands how to lead people, and I know how to do that. And, of course, the, all the major newspapers across the country, the next day the headline was uh, new CEO admits he doesn't know the car business uh, in order to scare everybody. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, on, you know, buried on page A19 was, oh, but I don't need to know the car business. But the point is he, turned, he completely turned that, that company around, and it's surviving uh, today because of his leadership. But he got it because he realized – uh, to, to him, it was very natural, but to a lot of people, it's not. And to a lot of people in the financial world, because I've done a lot of work with banks and, and uh, credit unions and financial institutions uh, across the country. And I can tell you that quite often, highly left brain, really smart people don't find leadership to be n number one, natural, uh, or number two, sadly, in a lot of cases, uh, necessary. Their attitude is, you know, if you don't, if you can't contribute, I'll go find somebody who can uh, because I need to go focus on the business. I don't need to be focused on, on holding your hand or motivating you to do something I'm already paying you to do. I mean, I've heard just about all of it over my career. And I can tell you uh, that there are a lot of people that if they, don't, if they don't find that it's natural, I think you're absolutely right. Having processes in place that remind you of your need to do those things. And a coach certainly helps people through that. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, uh, there are times I, I literally put on my schedule to call my mother and people are like, you have to put it on your schedule to call your mother. I'm like, no, the re when we're busy and we're going a hundred miles an hour in a hundred different directions, uh, particularly right now in the middle of a global pandemic, when people's businesses are being completely uh, reinvented. Yeah. Those things that are important, you put on a schedule, you figure out a way to get them in front of you so that you don't miss those things. And so, yeah, it's about processes. It's about realizing that these things aren't necessarily natural to everybody, but we can put people in front of us. We can put processes in front of us that ensure that we do them. Yeah, no, well, well said. What's really interesting. I, I you know, I, I coach a lot of financial advisors, as you know, and um, you know, I say a lot, what got you here won't get you there, right? Mm -hmm. What got you to the level where you are. So I think there's so many advisors out there. Um, and I think some of the audience can relate. They, they get to a million or maybe a million and a half or 2 million in revenue by just working hard and being a good financial advisor. Um, and they get that glass ceiling and the glass ceiling, quite frankly, is just because they, they couldn't develop anyone or get anyone to buy into their vision and create their own culture, uh, i.e. they are not developing as leaders. And I think um, make that shift, which has been one of my secrets to how we've you know, grown and scaled the way we have, it's to go from being a practitioner, right? To ultimately being a true you know, business owner, CEO, the secret ingredient is leadership. And most financial advisors or business owners in general 
um, didn't sign up to be a CEO. They had a good idea. I thought they could help people. Uh, and when you get pretty good at it and help enough people, you can only help a, you know, a certain amount of people by yourself if you don't bring some others along for the, yeah. uh, you know, for the journey. Well said. That's a great point. Well, we only have a couple minutes left. So Clint, I wanted you to close this out. Again, most of our, our listeners are financial advisors and a lot of them do have a team, whether it's just a few team members or some of them are you know, larger practices. What are some takeaways, some key things that they could do to start improving engagement and improving their and, a, and creating a culture of engagement at their own practice? Sure, I think it's a great question. And whether you're managing 50 people or five people or, or two people, it really doesn't matter. Uh, we all have the ability to, to uh, create some engagement around us. And I think right now in the middle of COVID-19 and all the challenges that we have, uh, there's probably no time where it's been more important uh, than right now to try to engage people uh, in, throughout all these times that are so uncertain uh, and certainly unprecedented. I think one of the things that we all have to do, and I think it's, it's item number one to truly build a culture of engagement, we have to personally be engaged. It is not possible to engage others when we have allowed all of the things around us to have a negative impact on us to the point where we're disengaged. We're, you know, I don't wanna be on Zoom calls. I don't wanna have to do, I want everybody back in the office. I, this, this is bumming me out as much as anybody else. We have to be personally engaged ourselves before we can ever begin to engage anyone else. Number two, I think what we have to do, again, is, as I mentioned before, is be authentic. Uh, be transparent, be honest. Don't say, oh, we've got this all figured out. Uh, if you don't have it all figured out, just be honest with people and tell them that you don't have it all figured out. I would say a third thing would be uh, to be uh, compassionate related to change. People are going through change. They're not just going through it at your office. They're not just going through it in their professional career. They are going through it in all aspects of their lives whether they have children and they're trying to figure out how to get them educated, whether it's figuring out technology because they're a non-technology person and they can't figure out how to hook up all the technology they need to communicate with the world. Uh, people are being asked to change like they've never been asked to change before. I've always said in, in all the other pand or tragedies in life, whether it's a hurricane or, or a flood or whatever it may be, once the tragedy is through, we then can look around and say, okay, let's figure out how we get this fixed. And good, proactive, strong leaders can say, all right, here's how we're going to overcome this. Here's how we're going to rebuild. And in six months, we'll be back up and going. This pandemic is unlike anything that we've ever experienced because we have no idea. The hurricane is still blowing right now. We literally have no idea when it's going to stop. So we can't even say, well, starting tomorrow, here's how we're going to start rebuilding. Because you can say tomorrow, here's how we're going to start rebuilding. Or here's starting tomorrow, how we're going to start enhancing our culture and enhancing engagement of employees. And in three weeks, we could have another major outbreak and suddenly everything is shut down and everybody's sent back home. So we literally have no idea how to get through this because everything is changing so often. As leaders, we struggle with that. What we have to be is compassionate with others around us, knowing full well that they're struggling with change as well, and that we can't be short-tempered with them uh, because they just don't want to go along with the change. You know, there, there are really three different stages to change. There's the, the ending, that is the giving up of something that's familiar, that, that, that we recognize, maybe it's a job. And then there's an ending, and that is the, the, the elimination of that which is familiar. And maybe that's losing the job. And so we all know there's a beginning and then there is or an ending. But then at some point in the future, there's a beginning and we move on. Let's say it's a relationship, the ending of a relationship that you thought was great. At some point in the future, you're going to meet someone new and you're going to have a new beginning. So we understand the ending and the beginning. The biggest challenge is this piece in the middle. And it's what I refer to as the neutral zone. And that is the fear, uncertainty and doubt of not knowing what the future looks like. You know, it's, it's devastating if you lose a job. And if you're smart and you're good, you're going to find another job. So you know there's a new beginning. 
it's sitting in that middle, in that neutral zone of where is the job going to be? Am I going to have to move? Uh, am I going to have to take a demotion? Are they going to pay me what I, what, what I think I'm worth? Uh, am I too old? I mean, all of those things that race through our heads in the middle of the chain, it's not the ending. It's not losing the job that's the problem because we know we'll find a new one. It's the neutral zone. And right now, we are stuck in the world's biggest neutral zone because leaders can't tell us what the new beginning is yet because they don't know because we don't know when this thing is going to end. And so what I would encourage leaders to do is to realize that not only are we as leaders in that neutral zone frustrated because we can't just make a decision, you know, type A personalities, we just want to make a decision and move forward. Well, it's hard to just make a decision to move forward when you don't know what next week is going to look like. You don't even know what tomorrow is going to look like. And as a result of that, we're frustrated. So are our employees. And so what I would encourage your listeners to keep in mind is that everyone is sitting in that neutral zone right now. And they're just looking for a leader that will be compassionate enough to be patient with them as they make it to the other side. And then the fourth thing I would say is be more positive. We live in a world of negativity. It's, it, we, it, we're surrounded by it. Uh, we, we see it from the media because it sells. Uh, we see it at, at work from coworkers. We see it at home from family and friends. We see it in social media. We're just surrounded by it. And people need a more positive demeanor around them uh, with so much negativity, uh, not only surrounding us, but that we often will just have ourselves. We need to be surrounded by some people that will keep us focused on the things that are working well and the things that quite frankly will help us get to the other side of this pandemic. And so uh, the one last thing I would tell people, stop asking other people how they're doing. Because if you ask enough times, they're gonna tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and quite frankly, right now, most of us don't really wanna know. So eliminate <laughs> how are you doing and replace that greeting with tell me something good. It is impossible for someone to tell you the crud in their life when you approach them, when you get them on the phone and the first thing you say is, tell me something good. It is impossible. Well, I say it's impossible. There'll still be, I figured it's about 20% of the people that even when you ask them to tell you something good, they'll still just tell you all the crud in their life. But 80% of them are either gonna take a while or they're gonna know immediately, but they need someone lifting them up keeping them it's important enough for me that I literally created a podcast about it called tell mm -hmm. me something guys I literally just finished writing the book tell me something good that focuses on six steps to get people past the negativity in their life I believe it has that kind of an impact on culture when we are surrounded by so much of it and we're just looking for some kind of positive leadership to get us to the other side and not just the other side of the pandemic to the other side of this week to the other side of this day because every day we're just surrounded by it. And so I would just, I would encourage leaders stay focused on the stuff that's working. And when you find those things, celebrate them because they're there if we're willing to go look for them. Went very, very inspiring. My guess is uh, some of those 20% when asked, tell me something good that might not have a good, I bet you half of those live here in New York, <laughs> um, possibly. And, you know, Shenandoah, can you smell that? You smell what I smell? Uh, the sound, I don't know. It sounds like a trick question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I smell a repeat guest here because I think okay. got, got a lot to say. and got uh, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I would, so, I would, I was, first of all, just honored that you included me. And I would be even more honored to come back anytime you'd like to have me. I'd love to come back and share some more good stuff with you. Well, we, we'd love to have you and uh, really appreciate uh, a lot of the, the great nuggets that you dropped today. So thanks for being here. And Shenandoah, I'll kind of let you wrap it up and uh, go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to be including links to where people can find out about you and your books in the show notes. But if you want to just kind of quickly say where they can find you online. You bet. You bet. Our, our corporate site is verbalocity.com. Uh, it's a, a V as in victory and a B as in boy, verbalocity.com. Uh, our podcast, uh, can, uh, the Tell Me Something Good with Clint Swindoll podcast is available wherever you, you may listen to your podcasts. Uh, it's also available online at clintswindoll.com. 
Uh, and if that is difficult to spell or remember, all you have to do is go to findthegoodinlife.com and it's all right there with links to take you everywhere you need to go. Excellent. Great. Well, we will include all of that in the show notes too. So that way everyone can have access to them. And yes, we definitely look forward to having you back at another time. And for our listeners, we look forward to having you back um, for our next episode. Y'all have a great week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.